I'd like to briefly introduce our three speakers. First, we'll have Dr. Marita O'Brien speaking. She's on the far left. She is a psychology professor here at Franciscan. She's going to be speaking about the brain and why certain study habits work and maybe why other ones don't and um, growth mindset and all of those sorts of things. So she has a lot of wisdom to share. We're really lucky to have her here with us. Um, our second speaker is Mr. Clement Harold. He recently graduated from Franciscan University. He was a very successful student here. Um, and so he has a lot of wisdom to share about his successes, maybe his errors as well. Um, and then also how to be a well-rounded student. So prayer and friendship and all of those things, they all matter. Our final speaker is Dr. Anne Delaney on the far right. She is our Dean of Advising here. She's worked with a lot of different students. She's seen a lot of different, uh, different ways students can study and prepare, and she um, has a lot of knowledge in that subject, as well as time management skills um, and different types of tests and how to prepare it's her specialty. She's also very busy, so we're really, really honored to have her here with us tonight. Um, so each speaker is going to speak for about 15 minutes. And then they will go into a panel discussion. Um, I will say a few brief remarks, and then we'll have a Q&A. So please, as these speakers are speaking, if you have any questions, um, there will be a time to ask. And I highly, highly encourage you to do so. Um, and then lastly, my, my good friend Dean is filming this event. And so if there's a certain part that you want to rewatch because the speaker said something, and you aren't taking notes, and you want to go back, that will be available to you. The video will be posted on Blackboard. So before we begin with the speakers, we are going to open in prayer, and I'll have my friend Amelia DeGree, also a member of the Student Welfare Committee, uh, lead you all in prayer. Okay, thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, I have a prayer from St. Thomas Aquinas for us. Creator of all things, true source of light and wisdom, lofty origin of all being, Graciously let a ray of your brilliance penetrate the darkness of my understanding and take me from the double darkness in which I have been born, an obscurity of both sin and ignorance. Grant me the talent of being exact in my explanations and the ability to express myself with thoroughness and charm. Point out the beginning, direct the progress, and help in completion. Through our Christ our Lord, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Good evening, everyone. It's an honor to be invited to come and speak about something that I have a lot of conversations with students about in my office. And I'm going to try and highlight three major points. And the first one I want to highlight is some tips for studying. And part of what I want to communicate in this is rather than just a list of things to do, but really why you should do them. So one important tip is where should you be studying? And actually, the answer is not always the library. For some people, the library is so quiet, there's no stimulation at all. And for some people, they actually need some distraction. It keeps their brain more active. Some of the major differences that we could say between preferences about what you study are extroversion and introversion. Um, introverts, it's not that they're just all shy. It's that they tend to be really sensitive to um, extra stimulation. And so for them, if you're an introvert, being in a place where you're not going to have those surprises often helps you to focus. Whereas for extroverts, again, um, finding a place where there's kind of a constant hum might be helpful. There might even be some tasks you have where in some ways having a lot of people around is helpful, but you put the earbuds in so that everybody knows you're working. Okay. So part of it is finding those locations that work for you and that work for you for particular classes. Second um, part of those tips for studying is in thinking about your method, thinking about your attention span. So you may have heard that there's kind of a magic number that teachers all try and um, attend to, and that is this 20-minute attention span. And that's in general. You can focus really hard for 20 minutes. And then after that, your brain kind of has expended some energy and needs a little bit of a reset. Okay? So thinking and planning out your studying that you're going to be doing and considering what some of those chunks are before you start to dive in. And if you try and continue studying for six hours and you haven't taken some of those mental breaks, 
Even just getting up, this is where going to the restroom can be helpful. Drinking water so that you have to go to the restroom can be helpful. Is ways to try and keep yourself engaged so that you're really learning from what you're studying. The third thing, really, in terms of that attention is making sure that you're doing something that's active. Again, this is where sometimes some of the uh, work where you're reading something that's pretty intense can be really hard to interrupt yourself. So even looking ahead and saying, where, is, where am I going to be reading to before I take that break? Also in terms of study methods, thinking about your, the actual methods that you use. And I had a great tip to really illustrate this from a conversation with one of my students who said, you know, I have a holy card of my guardian angel. And when I'm studying, I try and teach my guardian angel what I'm learning. That's the kind of speaking aloud that is getting you to focus more on what's going on and actually in listening to yourself, make sure that you actually understand it. Making sure that you're not just continuing to say things that you don't really understand. Often when I have students who are talking to me and say and tell me, here's the definition of this, and it's a great word-for-word -word definition from the textbook, but they can't paraphrase it. And what you want to be able to do is understand it in your own words, and that's where kind of explaining it to your guardian angel, to your patron saint, can be a helpful technique to really force you to be thinking like that. Another part of this idea of making sure that the information is going to be clear is really focusing on, as you're studying, especially definitions, it's not knowing just the definitions word for word, but thinking about groups of, of topics and what's the difference between them. So if you're thinking about something pretty simple that you probably study, such as the difference between the Catholic faith and the Orthodox faith, there's some key things that you're going to focus on. And that's what you want to test yourself on. Okay. And that really highlights the really important aspect of this, is for a lot of students tell me that their studying involves reading over their notes. And I just think, oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know how you stay, I don't you stay active when you've done that. I mean, you were in class. You wrote the notes in the first place. I think it's more helpful to, first of all, actively engage it the first time you read over it. Often with a highlighter, you can start to connect themes. You can highlight for yourself, oh, yes, in this term, I remember the teacher told a story about this. Put that in the paraphrase. And those kinds of things are going to help you to really make sure that you're focusing on what's going to be helpful for answering questions on the test. Related to this idea of studying is even among my colleagues who are in psychology, we give different kinds of tests. We focus on different aspects. So I try and invite students to come back to my office and take a look at their test. And as they're looking over their test, I often find that students kind of start out by saying, oh, I knew the answer to that. Or, wait. I changed my answer. I know I should never change my answer. And certainly looking at the techniques that you use and trying to correct those can be helpful. And really that, but really that's where the focus has got to be, is actually I like to hear how students are processing the question and how they're thinking through the answer that they select. Because often I can hear in that whether or not they're focused on the right point and whether they're doing what uh, are really trying to overload kind of their mental workbench in thinking about the question and three of the four answers that are possibly right. Your brain can't process all of that, and so you need to be attentive to that even in terms of your studying. Okay? And talking to your professor about what's worked for students in their classes before is a way to also show them that you care and Sometimes, especially as I get to know students and I start to know what some of their interests are, what some of the things that I've said before that are particularly engaging for them, that they're, think they're using in other classes, that helps me when I'm teaching to come up with examples that are going to be salient and resonate with you. And the last point really on this tips for studying is what McKenna called the growth mindset, which some of you might have heard about before. It's a fairly recent finding that highlights the idea that for a lot of students when they get to college, 
they've already got a set of beliefs about themselves and what they can learn and how they learn. And so they often think that there's limits about how well they can do in particular subjects. But we call those limits a fixed mindset. It's basically saying, here is the box of all of the things that I can learn about math. But research suggests that by actually thinking about how you study and trying to develop your abilities in this area, you actually can learn to do things that you previously didn't think were possible. This is actually how God's designed our brains, is that it really takes running into some of those roadblocks to start stretching them. Okay? And students typically who start learning that it's possible for them to learn and that they really can grow their brain just as you grow muscles by working out or often find it easier to study and not to be intimidated when they're challenged. That a challenge is just an opportunity to try something a little different. So those are really some techniques in terms of just the study process itself especially the planning aspect of it and making sure that what you're doing is active and not passive. Second major area I wanted to address is the importance of having a daily routine. Okay. So unfortunately, we have, kind of have part of our routine built in. Sunday, day of rest. But even during the week, you have some classes that meet Monday, Wednesday, Friday, others that are Tuesday, Thursday. I teach different Monday, Wednesday, Friday than Tuesday, Thursday classes. And that's how I orient, my, orient what I'm going to be doing during the day. So I was telling Dr. Delaney that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I work out in the morning. And so I start my day getting some energy. Um, I pray. I look at what I've got to do. And then by the time I get here, I already have answered some emails, and I know what's going to be going on, and I know I'm going to be here until 7 or 8 o'clock at night. That's very different than my Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. So incorporated in this daily routine is things like exercise, is things like when you're going to be eating, when you're going to see friends, and your sleep habits. <laughs> okay. I want to mention one important thing about sleeping. Um, I am one of those people that when I was in college, I think I got my best studying done between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. That worked great for me in college. But once I started working, that wasn't really the schedule that I needed. I couldn't kind of get up at 9, 9 a.m. and start my work day. And so I realized that while I was trying to start working at 10 p.m. like I normally did, I was really tired. And it would take me three hours to do something that didn't seem that hard. So one day I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I know that this should take me two hours. So I'm actually going to set my alarm for two hours before I think I need to get up. I'm going to set the coffee going. And I was actually much more efficient. So sometimes it is just a matter of making some of those changes and getting into that habit. As you start to do those kinds of habits, what you'll find is that it actually takes a load off of your brain. Because part of what your brain is constantly thinking about is scheduling your day. And when you've already got that rhythm, that's something that you don't have to schedule. You don't have to keep trying to remember. Okay. Um, I also, as part of my schedule, um, I've been at Franciscan for seven and a half years now. I know that there's all kinds of wonderful things going on. And it's really hard sometimes to say, wait, Father Mike Schmitz is coming. But I promise my students I'm going to get their things graded tonight. OK. So the way I manage that is my Wednesday nights are not work nights for me. I, can, I actually have time where it's like, I'm free to say yes to something. Um, the third thing that I wanted to talk about is just some tips for taking tests. So for a lot of students, I have many more conversations about studying. But I also find that in talking with students about how they're testing is that there's a couple of things they can just tweak that will improve their grades. One of them I mentioned before already in the study tips is that your learning should be more active 
That means that so should the test taking. I find for a lot of students, especially for multiple choice test, that you've kind of trained yourself on reading the, reading the question and, oh, okay, I need to think about what the answer, and if you don't know what the answer is, there's a panic and you start reading through the possible answers. But only one of those is the right answer. And the right answer is actually interfering with all of those other wrong answers that were probably studied at about the same time. Okay? So part of the way you need to study, is, part of the way you need to take test is that active approach of saying, here's the question. You really wanna focus on the question because in the question are some key words that are keys to that information and how it's stored in your brain. You wanna pull that information from your brain, maybe write down a couple of the things that come to mind, and then use the information that you've now taken out of your mental workbench, go back to the question, remind yourself of the question, and then when you look through the set of possible answers, it will be clearer to you what the right answer is. You don't have that interference. One other tip in terms of the, the, what happens when you are stumped or where you get to the point where you have this question, you're like, I know it's one of these two. And these are things that I was often confused about. One of my tips is, if you don't have to answer that question right now, make a mark next to it, come back to it. You might find something later on in the test that gives you the cue for the right answer. And now you have some more evidence to say this is the right answer. If you've gone through the test and you've picked out the ones that you definitely know, you're actually gonna be much more confident in the things that you're gonna to have to be working through. And when you're working through those, you can go back to some of those test, uh, studying techniques, that thinking aloud process. I've had some students who call me over in the middle of a test and they say this question, they just point to it. And I'm like, is there a question? And then they point between two of the answers. <laughs> Which is it? <laughs> and it's like, that's what the test is about. But I remember telling one student who was the only one left in the room, so I wasn't disturbing anybody else. I want you to decide what it is, and then I want you to be able to explain, think about how you would explain to me that that's what you chose. So you're basically imagining that you're rationalizing that answer. To yourself, to your guardian angel who was with you when you studied, and with you when you were in the classroom, and now they um, are gonna listen to what you're saying and really listening to yourself and saying, does this make sense? Okay. So a um, couple of tips. Again, your, your professor is gonna have something that's specific to their test. Some of it's gonna be a little bit based on whether or not they allow you to write on the test or have scratch material, okay? But I wanna leave it at this and now turn it over to a student who's gonna, Clem is gonna talk a little bit about what helped him while he was here or what he now, Thank you very much, Dr. O'Brien. Uh, I want to begin by thanking uh, McKenna and Amelia and the other senators who put this event together. Uh, I was involved with student government last year, and I know that these events require a lot of planning uh, and a certain amount of stress. So I really appreciate you guys putting this together. I think it's a great idea. Uh, the other caveat I want to get out of the way is I took one of these COVID uh, antibody blood tests earlier today, and my left arm is really sore. So if I start sort of spasming during my comments, then that's what it is. Um, I think maybe some of Joe Biden's vaccine got in the, in the blood supply. But um, today I wanna, I wanna share a few different points with you guys, things that I found helpful when I was at college. And these are things that I hope will be helpful uh, for this finals, upcoming finals week, yes, but also for the rest of your, your time in college. Before I get to that, can I ask how many of you guys are freshmen? Okay, great, so about half. So I wanna begin by just saying well done, you guys, for being here, because uh, assuming you didn't just come for the Chick-fil-A, uh, I'm sure you do have better things to be doing on a Thursday night. So the fact that you're here, trying to better yourselves, trying to grow as a student and grow in excellence, I think is really commendable. 
And the second thing I want to say uh, before I get to my, my points is that I'm really convinced that for those of us who are students uh, or have been students uh, in this day and age, I do think we have a certain disadvantage. And why is that? Well, I think it's because we are people who grew up in the age of the internet, right? And so while that's given us some enormous advantages in terms of accumulating human knowledge and organizing it and stuff, we've also grown up in the age of the iPad, the age of YouTube and Netflix and social media and so on. And I think we've been conditioned from a pretty young age to have very short attention spans. And you know, I suspect if I was to poll the room, I would, wouldn't be the only one who's experienced this. And so for those of us who are students today, I do think we have some unique challenges. Obviously, I'm sure every generation of students got distracted. But for us, it's like I'm sitting in the library trying to write a paper, and there's a 1,000 different distractions literally just one click away. And that's really tough. And I think that's something that we all have to kind of deal with and grapple with. At the same time, it's a challenge. It's also an opportunity. And I think if we can continue to grow in excellence and continue to strive to better ourselves as students, even in this challenging environment, then we're going to stand out all the more as good students, as good Christians, good Catholics. And so that's kind of the challenge, but also the opportunity. OK, so I want to give basically three broad suggestions and then end with a couple of practical tips uh, for this finals week. The first thing I want to suggest to you guys is during your time at college, especially in these next few weeks, is to make sure you're maintaining an ordered life. Okay. And for any Jordan Peterson fans in the room, you're going to maybe get some of the references here. But the reason I emphasize this is that I think a lot of us as students, we have this experience that our, our college, our time in college is a lot of chaos. And don't get me wrong, it's very enjoyable chaos. You know, I've now begun working. I'm realizing working life is a lot less fun than college. Uh, so college is a ton of fun, but it's also a little bit, you know, here, there, and everywhere. Maybe you guys have had this experience where on any given week, you sort of, you go from one thing to the next and you're kind of bouncing around. You know, it's like, okay, I have that assignment to get done that I forgot about, and now a friend wants to grab coffee, and now a household sister needs help. And it's like, you know, it's one thing after the other. And I think a lot of students, in my experience, there are times, particularly around exams time, where we feel almost like psychotic. It's like, it's very overwhelming. There's a lot going on. And so in that context, when there is a lot of chaos, there's maybe less structure than you have when you're a parent, when you're working. Amidst that chaos, it's really important to live an ordered life. And so this is the Jordan Peterson idea of clean your room, make your bed. And I think that's really important. And the reason is that when you've had a difficult day, it gives you the advantage that you can come back to your dorm room and know that you have a tidy room, know that you've made your bed, and you can say, okay, you know what, today was a tough day, but I'm just going to... You know, I'm going to say my night prayer, I'm going to go to bed, tomorrow's a new day. And your room, your bed, whatever it is, it becomes a kind of oasis of order in your life, where you have something that you can return to and sort of replenish yourself. So I think, certainly for me, that's very helpful. That might be more of a sort of type A kind of thing, but I think everyone can benefit from that. Another aspect of this, maintaining an ordered life, is dressing well. And this is not a very popular message on this campus. Uh, but I certainly am of the belief that it's really good as a student to make a habit of dressing at least business casual, if not business formal, when you're going to class, when you're doing your studies. And the reason for that is really simple, is that as Catholics, we are a sacramental people, right? We're an incarnational people, and we believe that symbols really matter, that they actually make a difference in our lives. And so I think it's very obvious that if you dress well, then you're sending a message, not just to people around you. And okay, there might be people who think you're kind of a snob, and you know that's, that's kind of on them. But you're sending a message to people around you that you're serious about what you're doing. You're sending that message to your professors. And you're also, more importantly, sending that message to yourself. It's like, okay, this activity that I'm undertaking here, whether it's going to class, whether it's engaging in my studies, this is a serious undertaking. I paid a lot of money to be here. This is really important to me. And so I do also suggest trying to dress well. I think that can be very helpful. The final aspect of this idea of maintaining order in your life is a piece of advice that I received when I was a freshman. And the guy who gave it to me was a senior at the time. And he told me, he said, Clem, this is, this is probably the most helpful piece of advice that I received when I was in college. And what he told me was that a lot of college is about learning how to say no to people. Okay, And I would suspect, again, that we've all had this experience 
especially those of you who are freshmen, where you know it's like a Friday night and you're somewhere, you're like in a house or a dorm, you're not really sure how you got there, and the person that you thought you were there to hang out with isn't anywhere to be seen, and you're with a bunch of people you don't know, and you're wondering why you're wasting your Friday night. And like, why did that situation arise? It arose because you didn't say no to something. You went along with something, you committed to something you didn't really want to commit to. And I think as students, we do this all the time. Sometimes it's big things, sometimes it's small things. But it's really important to try and grow in this habit as you grow in your time at Franciscan of saying no to things that are going to be distractions that are not going to be enjoyable and not going to be fulfilling. And this is kind of actually a pattern that you'll notice as you go along, even with your friend groups that you're, sorry, but it's true, but you'll, you'll find that the friend group you had freshman year will change going into sophomore year. There'll be kind of adjustments and refinements because you, get, you grow in self-knowledge. You get a better sense of what you want and then get a better sense of who you want to hang out with, what kind of social engagements you want to go to. But that's something I'm going to keep in mind is, am I good at saying no to things that I ought to be saying no to? At the same time, you don't want to be super boring, just sticking in your dorm room, never saying yes to anything. So like everything in the Christian life, it's a balance. Okay, so that's point number one, is maintain an ordered life. And I think if you can do that, it's really going to set you in good stead. The second point is I would really encourage you guys to figure out your keystone habits. So can I just ask, how many of you are familiar with the idea of a keystone habit? Okay, three or four people. The idea of a keystone habit is it's a habit that if you get that right, if you enact that, then it's going to help a lot of other habits click into place. Into place. So what are some examples of this? Well, for example, if uh, maybe I'm trying to, uh, I don't know, get A's in my classes, right? The idea of getting A's in my classes, it's a very sort of amorphous, uh, big goal that feels like a bit, of a, a bit of a Goliath, okay? And so I can say, yeah, just generally I need to grow in discipline, I need to study harder, I need to, you know, uh, be more diligent. Um, but that's not very concrete, it's not very specific. So the idea of the keystone habit is saying, what's a habit that I can implement that's much more definable, much more achievable, which again, if I get that right, it's going to have this kind of ripple effect where it's going to help me in other areas of my life. For example, it might be that a keystone habit that you need to implement is getting up at the same time every day. Okay? So whether it's you know, 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 8 a.m., if you can stick to it and continue it through the weekend, then it's like, if I can get that one thing right, that's going to help a lot of other things click. It's like, oh, okay, now I actually have time to pray in the morning. I have a lot more energy because I'm not having a sporadic sleep schedule. I'm a lot more relaxed in the evening. I feel a lot more confident, a lot more fulfilled. And so, excuse me, this one little thing served as a keystone habit that helped a lot of other things, things work for you. Another example might be that you need to work out every day. It's like, if I don't get in 30 minutes of exercise, then I'm just kind of miserable. I don't feel good. I don't study as well. I don't pray as well. My relationships aren't going as well. And so, okay, then just set that goal, make it manageable. It's not like working out for two hours, but it's 30 minutes. I'm going to do it six days a week, and I'm going to stick to it. So I'd encourage you guys is really examine, and you're likely going to have multiple of these that you could try to identify and then work on is what are those things that would be keystone habits in my life? And taking this idea a step further, what I want to suggest to you guys is I think Jesus in the Gospels really catches onto this idea of a keystone habit. What do I mean by that? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33, there's this really beautiful and convicting line where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be yours. And those things he's referring to are things like provision for your material needs, you know, security and health and, and so forth. And Jesus, it's very important to recognize, he's not saying don't worry about those things, but he's saying have the right priority. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then these other things will flow from that. And the way I take that is that, in a sense, Jesus is giving us a keystone habit there. He's saying, if we can orientate our lives around putting the kingdom of God first, then everything else will follow from that. And we really believe through faith that he will give us the grace to do what we need to do in our lives. And so the most obvious manifestation of that is obviously a daily prayer life. And this is going to be the most important keystone habit you guys can develop during your time at Franciscan. And I urge you guys, all of you, especially the freshmen, but all of you, make a commitment beginning tonight, beginning tomorrow morning, that you're going to pray every day during your time at Franciscan. During my time here, all of the most successful, most accomplished, most fulfilled students I knew were ones who prayed every day. Often a holy hour, often daily mass on top of that. 
And paradoxically, those same students were the ones who always seemed to have the most time for other people. And I really believe it is true when people say, you know, God gives you back the time. I really think he does do that. And so, wrapping up, if you can take a look at your life and say, what are the keystone habits I need to implement? Maybe in terms of my sleep, maybe in terms of exercise, in terms of study habits, and then most importantly of all, in terms of prayer. Am I going to make that commitment something that I know I can achieve every day without exception, even if it's just 15 minutes? I don't have to set this high lofty goal that I'm not going to be able to reach, but something that I know I can achieve. And then that's going to help you in all the other areas of your life. Okay, point number three. I really encourage you guys very simply to take advantage of what Franciscan has to offer. And there's another line in scripture which I always find uh, quite sobering, and that's Luke 12, 48, where Jesus says, to him to whom much has been given, much will be expected, much will be demanded. And for all of us at Franciscan, I think the reality is that we've all been given quite a lot, right? And I know everyone has a different background, a different story, but the very fact that we're here at Franciscan, you know, maybe because of the sacrifices of our parents or our grandparents, suggests that we are really privileged, firstly, to be at university at all, and then secondly, to be here in such a great Catholic institution. So we've received a lot, and it's really incumbent on us as Christians, as Catholics, to take advantage of that. And the good news is Franciscan offers so many ways, so many means for us to grow, firstly, as individuals, as persons, and then also as students, right? So just some examples. You know, form relationships with other people. So firstly, form good friendships that are going to help you grow in virtue, grow as a student, but then also find mentors. You know, I, I'm now at a point where I have a spiritual director, a vocation coach, and two accountability partners. And to me, the reason I have these is not because I'm like, oh, you know, Clem, you're so disciplined and wonderful. It's like, no, it's precisely because you're not disciplined and you're kind of a mess when you don't have this support network. But by having these people that I can go to for advice and mentorship and accountability, it really helps me to maintain an ordered life. And you have those opportunities here at Franciscan. I know it's sometimes hard to find a spiritual director, uh, but keep trying if you have tried and you know, not yet found one. That takes perseverance. But likewise, you know, whether it's in your household, in your friendships, talking with professors, is try to identify those mentors who are going to help you along the way. I think by the time I graduated, it was probably 25 to 30 professors who I would say I was kind of good you know, friends with and had a kind of working relationship with. And they were people that I could go to for advice um, and you know, see them in the hallway. And it was always encouraging to see them. And, and so I really would say that's a very important point. You still have time. I think it's finals three weeks away, I think, two or three weeks away. Uh, getting in that last minute meeting with a professor could really help. Okay, to be perfectly cynical, it makes you look good in their eyes. They're going to be impressed that you were there when they're grading. They're going to think, okay, this was the kid who actually put in extra effort. But also, more fundamentally, is it's going to help you. You can ask those questions that have been at the back of the, your mind all semester and you were you know, too afraid to ask. And just talking through the concepts and having to prepare for that meeting with them is going to help put you in good stead. So again, take advantage of what Franciscan has to offer. Form positive connections. Get involved in groups like the Veritas Society, which tries to promote intellectual culture. There's a lot of different things that you can do on this campus. OK, finally, I realize I'm going on a bit, but a couple of practical tips as you go into exam season. And again, these are things that I hope will be helpful, not just this exam season, but in the future as well. So I have two, do, two don'ts and two do's. Uh, so firstly, don't miss class and don't miss assignments, OK? You may be thinking, right, thanks, Clem, that's too little, too late. Uh, but there's always a new semester. But really, I, I'm strongly the belief that uh, you should get every single assignment in on time, and you really shouldn't be missing class. Okay, there's always exceptions. I remember one time when my friends and I, we technically, our tire was punctured on our car, but we were already on campus, so technically we should have gone to class. We went to McDonald's instead. Um, <laughs> So I don't hold myself up as the perfect model. But generally speaking, that was a very rare exception for me. And I try to maintain that discipline of going to class. Because as soon as you get into the habit of not going to class, it really does affect your discipline. And it gets so much easier the next time not to show up. And then you realize, oh dear, I did miss some important concepts. And then the friend that you asked to take notes also didn't show up. And, and it, you just, it, it sort of throws you for a loop. Is it loop or hoop? Loop. Whatever it is. Uh, we don't say that. Um, so I really encourage. Uh, get all assignments in on time, and go to class. 
The second don't is uh, what I like to say, um, or describe as don't study in the JC, okay? Or really anywhere where you're not actually gonna study. And just have some self-knowledge and some honesty. Uh, there's a lot of students at Franciscan that claim to be able to study in the JC. I don't believe them. Um, but no, the reality goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. It's like for those of us who are students in this day and age, we really struggle, as Dr. O'Brien was saying, we struggle with attention span. Uh, and you know, she said that number that has been kind of identified of, you know, you can maybe study for 20 minutes. I would say for a lot of us, that even that might be a stretch. It's like, can I actually look at this screen and work on this paper for 20 minutes without checking my phone once? Like, test it, try it. Because the reality is that these things, you know, that our mind, our intellect, a lot of it's God-given, but a lot of it is also stuff that we can work on. It's like a muscle that we can grow and we can discipline. And so don't study in the JC, you know, study somewhere where you're going to be able to concentrate better. It doesn't have to be the library, but somewhere where you're going to be able to focus better and make that distinction in your mind and in your life between study time and leisure time or leisure time. You know, like this is when I'm studying, this is when I'm having fun and draw a clear distinction. I think that's going to make you more fulfilled and happier as a student. Okay, a couple of do's. Firstly, in approaching this final exam season, do, if you haven't done so already, draw up a list beginning tomorrow of all your remaining assignments for the semester. Okay, you're close enough now that you can do this. So all of the remaining reading assignments, any remaining quizzes, any papers due, book reviews, when your final exams are. Make sure you have that list. And the reason for this, and this could just be projection, but I, I suspect most people like me find it more or less impossible to study for like five things at once because you just can't give any of them your full focus and you get more and more anxious. It's much more effective in my experience to focus on things one at a time methodically. And so if you have this list three weeks out and you say, okay, this is everything between me and Christmas, then it gives you that kind of boost to say, okay, this is how long each of them's gonna take and this is when I'm gonna get them done. And then you can focus on each one with your full attention. The final do is enjoy the process, okay? You know, the reality is finals week is more of a marathon than a sprint. And it is kind of grueling and you will definitely get less sleep. At the same time, avoid all-nighters at all costs, okay? The reality is, you know, after 2 or 3 a.m., you're not gonna get anything meaningful done. It's much better to work till 2 a.m., get at least like four or five hours of sleep and then come back at it, okay? But in terms of enjoying the process, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, you know, if you have a lot of memorization to do, for me, that was always best done at night because it was less mentally taxing. So if I had a paper to write or a, a really difficult book to read, I would do that in the morning when I was fresh. But then at night, like what I would do sometimes is just buy a snack I liked, you know, like a jar of Nutella um, or Sour Patch Kids, go to the library, take my shoes off, put my you know, Bluetooth earphones in and just pace back and forth for like two hours just memorizing. And I... This is probably not psychologically very sound, but I, I am a believer in cramming. Uh, it's definitely not the most effective way to study. So begin, you know, a couple of weeks out, you're gonna have much better recall, especially long-term, but don't discount cramming altogether, okay? If that's your last resort, do it. Uh, but again, don't stay up all night because then you're gonna be miserable when you get to the test. Okay, final thought. There's a couple of do's, a couple of don'ts, the three points, maintain order in your life figure out your keystone habits, take advantage of what Franciscan has to offer. The final thought I'll leave with you guys is this. I remember my sophomore year, I think it was, we were at the Trinity Hall meeting, and you know the meetings where no student ever pays attention, and they're really boring. But something the RD said on this occasion actually sparked my interest. And what he said is he said, look guys, this time that you have at college is a really, really unique time in your life. Because it's at a time when you can afford to be extremely selfish. You know, like the reality is, you know, we all kind of, as college students, we think we have responsibilities. It's like, you know, I, I've got game night on Tuesdays, and then I, you know, I've got this club meeting on, on Thursdays, and then I have to, you know, meet with my, my household brothers for Friday morning breakfast. And it's like, I mean, all this is good and well, but it's not like real responsibilities, right? We're not, it's not like we're parents or a priest or religious. So the reality is, you know, we have the, the choice, we have this newfound freedom as students to kind of do whatever we want. And it's all about us. Like, pretty much every decision I'm making throughout my day as a student is about me, okay? Occasionally I might be like helping out a friend, uh, but even then often it's about me, right? And the reason I'm taking classes, even if they're boring, is because I wanna get a degree and I wanna succeed in life. And so it is this time that can be very selfish. And what he told us, what the ID told us was he said, you know, that's kind of like, that's okay in a sense, provided 
you can make the distinction that you make your college experience not a time about catering to your selfish desires, but rather a time about focusing on your self-growth. And it's saying, look, I have these four years, a really unique time with a lot of free time where I can really, really grow in virtue, in discipline, grow in my studies, grow in the intellectual life, grow in the spiritual life, grow in friendships, which will last a lifetime. And if I can make the most of that, then I'm going to be so much better equipped to go out into the world when I graduate and be able to serve other people and you know, be a gift of myself to other people. So I just leave you with that thought. You know, maybe think these next couple of weeks of how am I using my time at Franciscan to really grow so that I am in a position to better give of myself when I graduate. All right, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Clem. So I would like to talk to you a little bit about developing uh, virtuous study habits, how to prepare for an exam, how to take an exam, and then if we have time, we'll talk to you a little bit about coping with anxiety as well, because that is a real thing. So one thing I really appreciate about Franciscan University is that we're a liberal arts institution. And in a liberal arts institution, we really stress the importance of developing good and virtuous habits. And so as you live out your vocation as a student, you are developing, hopefully, you're developing virtuous habits as well throughout that. Um, so there's a number of things that you can do that help you develop good habits um, and to help engage you in the class material. So really succeeding and acing an exam begins long before the exam starts. And I think Clem mentioned that as well. So the first thing is to read the assignments that you've been given before you go to class, because it really awakens your interest in the material. It piques your curiosity and engages your mind. You might have some questions about the readings that when you get to class, the instructor starts talking about it, and it starts to make sense. So it's one layer of learning. It's a pre-learning that when you get to a class, you're a little more engaged. Attend class, every class. It's not really an option. If you really want to do well on that exam, you have to get to class. But not just attend class, but also be really engaged in class. Listen to what your professor is saying. Look for those questions that you had in the readings that you're not really sure you understood and see if it's explained in class. And if it's not, ask the questions in class. Engage with your classmates. So active participation in class will help you do better on that, on that final exam. Take good notes. So note taking is a great way to learn organizational skills. It's also a good way to develop your listening skills, because you really have to be paying attention to what the professor is saying and kind of make sense of what they're saying. Sometimes you have to figure out how you're going to make a good outline out of those notes. Um, and hopefully, the instructor is giving material to you in a way that makes sense. But after class, you're also going to go back through those notes and then try to make sense and clean them up and figure out how things are connected. So um, you have to discern what's important while you're taking those notes. And that's another uh, good virtue to have. So reviewing material is really important after your class. Um, and there's a number of different points at which you should be reviewing your material. Starting with immediately after class, or as soon after class as you can, at least just take a look over your notes, just scan them over, and make sure that um, you understand what you've got. It helps move your short-term memory to long-term memory when you engage in the material again. And then even at the end of your day, at the end of every academic day, think back about what you learned in class today. Um, think about each one of your classes. Maybe look through your notes and, and really um, bring that to mind again before you go to bed. Because while you sleep, you are actually, you're, you're embedding some of the things that you've just been thinking about into your memory. So that's a good time to think about and to review your material. You should also be doing a weekly uh, review of all of your material in class. And you should plan about an hour or so for that weekly review. Um, so you're thinking about the, the key points from that week, um, what was important about what you studied that week, why is it important for this whole class, this, this particular material, why, how does it engage in the entire class altogether in the course objectives? 
And then plan some major review times, which could be about two or more hours at least a week prior to the final exam. Definitely don't wait to study for that final exam until the week of because it's going to be too stressful. So spread it out, plan it out, um, and make sure that you're taking that time. That's going to be a little more in-depth um, studying. So before your finals, you really need to plan your study time ahead of time. Um, identify the time of day at which you're at your best. So Clem mentioned, you know, at night he might save memorization, but save your, your harder stuff for the time when your, your mind is the freshest, maybe earlier in the day, maybe in the morning when you, you are alert and your mind is crisp. That's when you want to tackle the most complicated elements of your study. So if there's something you're struggling with in class, Make sure you wait until your mind is at the freshest to study for that. And save the easier stuff for maybe when your mind is a little more tired. Um, when, you're getting, when you're approaching that test, make sure that you do a review of your material the night before. And then when you wake up again, do another quick review. Also, you know, when you think about it, when you wake up, if you think about what you had looked at the night before, that's another extra added layer of converting things from short-term to long-term memory. So another important thing about preparing for an exam is really thinking about what might actually be on that exam. So you have to kind of predict what the professor thinks is the most important thing. Now, obviously, a professor might tell you directly in class, so you have to be in class to hear it. Um, and make sure you're listening to that. So shortly before the exam, the professor is probably going to say, hey, make sure you prep these different things. Um, they're going to cue you in on what you need to study. And oftentimes throughout the, the period of time that you're studying, the professor is going to say, this is important. It's going to be on the test. Make sure you star that, highlight it, circle it, call it out in your notes so that you know that's an important part that you need to go back to. Also, if the professor has emphasized something several times or has really driven home a point from the text, that might be a cue to you that it might be something that's really important for the test. So look for those different clues that you have. So when you're getting ready to study, make sure you gather all of your materials. Make sure you know where your handouts are, where your notes are. Um, hopefully, you've read the text and you've highlighted or you've made notes in your text. So gather all that information together. Sometimes you might need to restructure things. So you might want to take your notes and put it onto flashcards, particularly, or Quizlet, if you're trying to memorize something. Or if you're trying to grasp a concept, if you're studying a concept, you can do a mind map. So you put a term in the middle of the page, you draw a circle around it, and then you start drawing little lines or trees off from that concept, and you add different things. So you might add a, you know, a, a date in history or a person in history. So that mind map, that concept map, can be very helpful because you can then visualize it. When you're in the test, you can call back to memory what you did in your mind map. Also, you're using sen your senses. Every time you're using your senses when you're studying, you're adding an extra layer of learning. So that's why note-taking with a pen or a pencil is actually really great because you're using your hand to do it, your motor skills to, to learn. Um, you also might want to study while you exercise, depending on how you exercise. But if you can study some material and walk at the same time, maybe you've got something audio that you can listen to, or maybe you, you review your notes and then you take a walk, that's very helpful because you're engaging different um, senses to do that. Um, study checklists, Clem mentioned, you know, make sure you know what you need to do the week before exams, make a list of things, and then try to plan your time so that you've got enough time allocated. And remember to say no when you need to say no. It's a hard thing to learn, but you've got to make sure that you preserve your study time. Um, sometimes you might want to use mnemonics. So um, use tricks, games, rhymes. You know, uh, in, 1990, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's a mnemonic. So we kind of rem remember it because it rhymes. So you can create your own rhymes. You can make some acronyms. Sometimes when I'm doing a list, I'll think about the first letter in each of that, and I'll try and relate it to something, like maybe my siblings' names or something to that effect. So make it personal, something that you're going to remember. It's going to help you recall when you're on the test. If you, if you remember two but not the third thing and you can recall an acronym or a mnemonic of some sort, it might help you. Um, and they'll also try and just associate things. So I once had a student who was trying to learn a concept and he was really struggling. 
Uh, but my grad assistant who was working with him knew that he really liked working with his hands and he liked mechanics. So they actually dissect, they, they related the concepts he was learning in, cl in class to a car engine. And so they had different parts labeled in the engine that represented different pieces of learning. And that really helped him succeed in the class. So do something that you can um, associate, something that's familiar to you. Uh, that visualization is really important. Like I said, the drawing and the concept maps can really help you. Um, and then, like I said, sleeping on it. Also keywords, Dr. O'Brien mentioned this too. Look for keywords in your notes or, uh, and, and highlight them so that you can pull out important pieces of information, especially when you're going back to review your notes. If you have keywords highlighted, it can be easier to find. So managing crisis mode does happen. You know, I, I would like to say that you're always going to be prepared for an exam but sometimes life is not, does not go as expected. And hopefully you've built in some time for that. But if you get into this crisis mode, there's a couple of things you have to start to think about. You have to think about which classes or tests are going to be the most challenging and prioritize those. Make sure that you're spending time on the things that come most difficult to you. Because sometimes it's not about getting an A, it's just about passing or doing good enough to get past that test. Now, I think it's great to do as best, you know, work your hardest to achieve at the highest level. But again, when you're in crisis mode, you have to try and uh, pick and choose. And, and spending more time on the things that are difficult is important. Also, think about which exams come first chronologically. If you've got an exam on Monday, make sure you've got that one prepped. But don't forget about the exams that are coming shortly thereafter either. So Clem mentioned this too about sleep. Sometimes it's better to go to bed early and get up early to study when your mind is fresher and you can retain things a little bit better. I've certainly been in the middle of the night trying to study something and I'm like, I've just blown an hour and I've gotten nowhere because I am tired. So I go to bed and get, get up as early as I can. One of the things I've, I've <laughs> it always breaks my heart is when I have a student come into my office who's just overslept their exam and they're in a crisis state. Make sure that you have a fail safe in place, right? Make sure you use an alarm on your phone that's complicated that you can't just hit snooze on. Make sure you have a class friend, somebody in your class who's checking on you to make sure you're awake if you have any struggles like that. But make sure that you can get up in the morning. Stay hydrated. This is a really important one. I know we tend to turn to caffeine and, and whatnot, but try to stay away from the caffeine and the sugar and grab that bottle of water because um, that hydration is really important for your brain and for your mind. Um, have some healthy to-go snacks in your room if you need to. And apples are actually a great substitute for caffeine as well. So, all right, now let's talk about during the final. There's some strategies that you can definitely use to do well on the um, final exam. Now, first of all, if you're holding on to this piece of memory, this acronym or something that you know, you're trying to remember, when you get into class, jot it down on your test right away so that you don't have to be stressed out or anxious about remembering it when you need it on the exam. Just jot it down. Um, so I'm also going to tell you about a strategy called the deter test strategy. And then I'm also going to give you some tips on different types of um, questions on your exam. So deter. That stands for directions, examine, time, easiest, and review. Deter. So first of all, we start with directions. The first thing you should do when you get into the classroom and you've gotten your test is read through the exam and make sure you understand all of the directions. If you don't understand them, make sure you ask early on so you can figure that out. The next thing you want to do is examine the entire test. You want to figure out what you need to do and pay attention to the point value of each different section of the exam. If something is worth 50% of the exam, you know that's something you really have to spend some time on and you need to nail it, right? Um, so make sure that you know where your points are, you understand which sections are going to take you the longest, and then try and break it down into manageable parts that you can handle. So time is the third letter of deter. And that's your, when you're going to have to figure out how much time you need to spend on each item. You might need to spend more time on essays and less time on true-false. Or maybe you know that there's a certain formula that you have to do that's going to take some time. So make sure that you build in a little bit of time and make sure you spend the time, extra time on the highest point value items. Um, don't spend too much time on any one item. 
if you run out of you, it might help make you run out of time elsewhere. So if you have to stop something and come back to that, it's okay. Just make sure you mark it on your exam so you don't forget to go back. E for easiest. Answer your easiest questions first. I think of it like a video game. You know, I picture like going through and scooping up the easy to grab coins on the bottom of the screen, like cha-ching, 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 you know, build those points on your exam and maybe save the acrobatic stuff that you have to jump high for and work a little harder on for um, later on in the test. So start where you can build up those points. It also helps give you confidence when you can answer all those questions that you know you can get right quickly. Review, make sure that after you've done all of your exam, if you've planned your time correctly, you can go back and you can check your answers. Make sure that you've answered them completely and accurately. Return to the items that you were uncertain about. Um, and then also review your test directions and make sure you actually did get it right. I've certainly been in a situation where I've gone back and I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't get that right. I didn't understand that. And then you have a little bit of time, hopefully, to quickly uh, redo that. So next I want to talk to you a little bit about different question types on exams and how to tackle them. First of all, sometimes you have objective questions, which are your multiple choice and your true and false type questions, your fill in, fill in the blanks. Make sure you read each question twice before answering it to make sure that you've read it correctly and you understand what you're answering. Answer the ones that you know first. Again, strike those easiest ones right away. Circle the ones that you're not sure about that you have to come back to, or maybe you did answer it, but you want to just, when you have time to think about it, you want to come back to that a little bit more. In the multiple choice questions, you know, when you read the question, you think about what your answer is, and then you read your options. You can eliminate the options you know for sure are incorrect. You might have to use educated guesses if you have like a couple of them you just can't figure out. Uh, but make sure you read all of the options before answering, because at the very bottom, you might have an all of the above or none of the above. So make sure that you pay attention to that. If you're stuck in a situation where you've got a couple of answers that seem right and one seems more complete or has more information, you might want to gravitate towards that answer as the correct answer. Also, you know, if, there's, if you're given a list of numbers, a little trick is that if they're all numbers, the lowest and the highest numbers tend to be your outliers, and those mean, tend to be the distracting answers and not necessarily the right ones. So that's not foolproof, that's not always the case, but when you've got a list of numbers that you're trying to discern from, your highest and your lowest might not be the correct ones. Now, for true and false answers, um, you have to look for keywords. Make sure you're looking for those qualifiers, things like words like all or most or sometimes or rarely. Beware of statements that say always or never, those absolute statements. Oftentimes, those absolute statements are false just because they are absolute. Um, so keep aware of that. Also, look for negatives in the answer. When, if you see the word not, you know, you want to make sure that you don't get fooled into answering the question wrong because you've missed a negative qualifier on the, on the statement. And remember that if any part of the statement is false, the answer is false. So when you get to fill in the blanks, um, the clues to the answer might be found in the incomplete statement. So I'll look for grammar. Uh, grammar might tell you whether or not it's a verb or a noun that they're looking for in the answer. Um, decide what kind of answer is needed. Maybe it's a name, a date, a place. You'll find that out from this incomplete statement. Um, and then identify the keywords that might help you figure out the topic. So uh, Dr. O'Brien mentioned that, that you can find some keywords in a statement that can help you out in the answer and. Now let's talk a little bit about essays and short answers. So you definitely have to make sure you read the question carefully to make sure that you hit on all of the points that the professor is looking for in those answers. Um, start off by restating the question in your answer. So if they're asking you a question, um, you want to say, well, the answer to such and such is. So um, just restate the question. For short answers, make sure that you watch for those instruction words such as define or illustrate so you understand what they're asking. Make your answers brief and concise. You don't need to embellish a short answer question. They really just want you to get right to the point. Stay on topic. Don't give your opinion. Uh, no, don't make any judgments unless you're asked to do so. You might in a philosophy paper, but uh, not necessarily in other subjects. 
Um, if you don't know the answer, go on. You might find, like Dr. O'Brien said, you might find a clue to that answer somewhere else in the test. But never leave anything unanswered. Always give it a shot. So for longer essays, make sure you think before you write. Um, plan your answer. Oftentimes, you might want to just do a quick outline on the side. Um, just write down each of the points that you want to hit in your essay before you start writing. Um, and make sure you provide enough details that you can explain your answer and demonstrate your knowledge of that subject. Make sure that you have time, if you can, to proofread and correct at the end. Make sure you reread um, and ask yourself if you've answered that question fully. The next type of test I want to talk about is open book exams. So open book exams sound like cha-ching, sweet, I can, I've got all the answers right at my fingertips. This is going to be a piece of cake. Well, let me tell you, open book exams can be very challenging. Sometimes they're timed. That can be very difficult. You can't go into an open book exam not having studied. You have to at least organize your notes. You need to think about the concepts. So some of the things that you can do, um, obviously, you can make a study guide. You can also organize your book. You can put post-it notes on the table of contents and the index on the chapters that you're going to use. You can make your own index or your own title table of contents for important pages that you might want to refer back to. Um, and that comes to, you have to definitely try and predict what material might be on the test. And then you can highlight different texts to help find them in a pinch. So anxiety is the last thing I just want to touch on, because I know that anxiety is real and it's stressful. But the number one way you can reduce anxiety is be prepared for the exam. So if you do all of these other things that I've talked about in terms of developing good study habits, um, studying well before the test, that will definitely reduce your anxiety. It doesn't necessarily eliminate it. So there's some different reasons why, there's a number of reasons why people might find um, anxiety about tests. They, they might have anxiety about what other people expect of them, whether it's their parents or their professors. I can't tell you how many times that students have um, just cut themselves short because they're worried about what their professor thinks. So then they don't go to class or they don't take the exam. I'm like, no, your professor wants you to do well. So even if you didn't do well previously, show up, um, take the exam. So um, don't worry so much about letting other people down. Challenge your perceptions. They may be inaccurate. Um, set your own goals and your own expectations for yourself. Don't worry so much about what everybody else is expecting of you. Do your best and forget the rest. So put, you know, you know what you can expect from yourself and, and live up to those goals. Another area of challenge is self-worth because people oftentimes they're tie their value into their performance on a test. But you, you're not the sum of your grade on an exam. That there, you're, there's so much more to you than that. So let yourself off the hook. There's so much more to you. And take control of your own performance. Um, Dr. O'Brien, I believe, was talking about self-assessment. So after each exam, go back and reflect on what happened the first time and what you can do better. And then you can actually grow it yourself personally. And it's very edifying to see how you've grown through this semester. Um, and sometimes there's just a sense of helplessness. But, um, it, and sometimes people think about the external factors. Oh, you know, they didn't teach this well, or I didn't like the way this was done. But really, you are responsible. Take, uh, you know, take control of your own life. Um, try and make a maintain a positive attitude, as Clem was talking about this. Um, don't let yourself listen to those negative tapes of what you can't do. Tell yourself what you can do and turn those, um, turn those negative thoughts around. So face those fears. Um, I would say also while you're in an exam, make sure that you take some time to relax. So if you feel anxiety is really taking over, take a few deep breaths, um, close your eyes, make sure, check your body to make sure you're not tense in any particular, your, your shoulders, your hands. Just take a little bit of time to just stretch out and relax so that you're ready. And then again, just um, try and talk positively to, about yourself, to yourself, and be confident. So hopefully all of those little pointers will help you as you engage in finals in the next few weeks. Thank you.
So I think we're going to start with um, just asking some questions among ourselves here. <laughs> um, so, uh, Clem, I was thinking about how life sometimes takes unexpected turns and how, you know, sometimes you get in a crisis situation just before an exam. And I'm wondering if you have, um, if that's ever happened to you or if you have any advice for um, the person who is left in that moment where maybe they had an exam they weren't expecting at a certain time and what advice might you give them? There we go. Um, <laughs> no, thank you for that question. So that, it reminds me very briefly, uh, my worst ever final exam experience, and it was my sophomore spring, and it was medieval philosophy with Dr. Symington. And all of us, all my friends and I, had been totally confused the whole semester. And so it was one of these open book ones that you described, which is definitely the worst, it's a trap. Um, and we had this enormous Google Doc, because you were allowed to share notes. And so it's the night before the exam, it's like 10 p.m., 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and we're all just like on Google, like trying to find answers, putting them in this document, it's getting longer and longer. I think it was like 40 pages by the end of it. Uh, so we go to bed, we get like three hours of sleep, we head to Egan, uh, and I sit down for the exam, the first thing that happens that goes wrong is I, I spill my coffee all over the floor. So I'm like, oh, shoot. Uh, and then I like miss one of, the, one of the questions. So then I have to do this. I'm like, okay, I'm in a blue book. So I've missed a question and I've run out of space. So how do I go back and like adjust this? So this was all that to say. It was the worst experience I've had. And I was extremely stressed in that moment. Uh, but like you were saying, Dr. Delaney, I think a lot of it <laughs> in those high pressure moments, whether it's you know, before an exam when you've just realized that you you know, something came out of the blue, or if you're actually in the exam, it's really just these simple steps of take a deep breath, okay, realize it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, usually you've got, uh, the nice thing about finals is you usually have a good amount of time to play around with, usually a couple of hours. So you can afford to literally just take a couple of minutes to recalibrate, assess where you're at, figure out a solution, and then kind of uh, get back to it. So I don't know how helpful that is, but I think sometimes the simple things work the best. Yeah, I think um, one thing I've ha I've definitely had students who've had that, and I'm I'm kind of standing sitting in the front of the class watching them take the test, and I'm like, you were in my office yesterday. <laughs> I know you studied, and so one of the things that I've told students is when you're feeling stressed, sometimes just that self-talk that's like really objective. You know, I I studied two hours Sunday night. You know, what have they been doing? Sometimes it's just something to kind of build their confidence and redirect them from what's, what's stressing them out. Um, and I think the other thing I wanted to mention just in terms of the sleep thing is, I, I was gonna mention this actually, I had a conversation about the, you know, some tips for sleep. And if, you, if you've ever seen any of the research on sleep cycles, kind of the, you, you wanna, if, if you're gonna get a night's sleep, like I think the minimum is four hours, because four hours gets you through a couple of this REM cycle, like the full set of cycle, which gives you some of the body energy that you need, as well as some of the, the storage, kind of unpacking what you've done during the day. So, you know, that's kind of the minimum. Naps can be 15 minutes if you really are just exhausted. Drink some coffee. It takes about 15 minutes for it to kick in. And so you'll wake up in about 15 minutes. 